1: back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. And I'm Chris McCarthy. We're joined in studio by Dartmouth State Rep Chris Markey. Hey, hey Chris, how are you?
2: Good. How are you, Marcus? Good. What's Good. going
1: on, Chris?
2: Not a mucho. <laughs> <laughs>
3: he's bilingual, folks. Yeah, wow. I like how he's adapting to the region. Um, <laughs> so, um, Chris, you and the rest of the delegation have put out a letter regarding the mayor's um, draft lawsuit Expand on that.
2: Well, I think uh, the one – we got to, in a vacuum, you know, you can say, okay, well, the mayor has a right to do these things. Okay. And, and that's in a vacuum. But when you look at what Senator Montigny has done, Representative Cazera, Representative Smith, Representative Hendricks has taken over, Representative or – Representative and now Senator Rodericks, Fiola, Sylvia, uh, Sullivan, Haddad, to try to get South Coast Rail to Fall River and New Bedford Mm -hmm. over years and years and years. uh, In order to do that, required literally thousands of hours of relationship building Mm -hmm. from at least three different governors. Patrick, Baker, Healy, and to try to make sure we got the South Coast Rail here. And when at the 11th hour, because my understanding is the statute of limitations would run on Monday of next. It's May 6th, which is on a Saturday. So I think it would extend out till um, Monday that in April of this year, the mayor decides that he's going to threaten a draft complaint to uh, to the MBTA. It's troubling. Okay. At, at a minimum. Now, part of the politics, part of the things that you've asked me, even during a pandemic is how, how do you build the relationships with people up at the state house right. when you're not there and we weren't there for a long time it's an essential part of the legislative process it may not be for the executive because you can make a decision okay but it's an essential part of the the legislative process and when we put our word on something we expect something back okay and that's what we did. And now, how can we now go back to the colleagues we have, to the administration that's there, and say New Bedford needs something more? Oh, ignore for a while this attempted lawsuit, in which I think is not proper Okay. Um, for a variety of reasons. But the concept of that, without ever communicating with us, in the legislative branch is again where's the relationship and what's going on so I look at it in one a couple of different ways because I've looked at the complaint now the first part of the complaint deals with what we call a declaratory judgment or equitable relief from a court and in that claim the city is claiming through a private lawyer so they put time and effort and money into it they actually hired a lawyer outside of the city, outside of the city payroll to file this or to write it. And they're saying that the MBTA didn't have the authority to write, to uh, take over the land through eminent domain and that they're asking the court to return the land to the city. The mayor has not responded to that. He just keeps saying, well, we have a right to to sue for the money. and, And actually he hasn't said it. The only person who has actually has said it is through a written statement through Eric Jakes,
1: so so city solicitor, yeah,
2: who didn't write the complaint, yeah. who had outside counsel do it. So Eric is unfortunately getting propped up to answer that. So,
1: so when, are you saying Mayor Mitchell's jettisoning is responsibility to respond to it publicly?
2: Oh, definitely that. Yeah, but let's talk about the the claim. So the claim is is that they don't have the authority yeah. to do that. I don't think is proper uh, secondly is it's at the 11th hour so let's look at what's happened on the th- on the second claim where they statutorily anyone who has had the property taken by eminent domain has a right to sue to, for value yeah okay. okay so the city is going to sue for value they have a right to do that. The question is, do you do that considering the relationships that you've built over the last 30 years to get the rail to be here? And in particular, the relationships that have happened over the last three years since this taking occurred. So just look for a moment at what the state has done for New Bedford over the last three years related just to that property. One is they proposed a pedestrian bridge, which initially cost $10 million. Now, with the city's approval, is now $20 million. Let's look at where the city is in relation to Fall River for the rail stations. Fall River is ready to go. Their platforms are there. New Bedford is behind. And the reason why New Bedford is behind is because the city asked that they get an extra summer out of the revenues from uh, the C Street parking lot. Okay. So we didn't begin construction in New Bedford until October right? after the season. So the city gained revenues from that. The city gained $10 million just from a pedestrian bridge. And now they're going to nickel and dime us yeah. for some money – for part of what we believe for the last 30 years is going to be an economic engine.
1: Yeah. I I thought about that, um, and I bounced it off of one of your colleagues. Can it be, let's say, the $9.9 million net loss that they said they have, could that also be viewed as a generational investment in the benefits of rail? What is the 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 money that they're claiming they put into the property, the nine point nine million dollars, the money that they say they're not getting back for putting into bringing this property up the snow.
2: Let's let's talk about the nine point nine million dollars that they say they put in. I'd, I'd I'd love to see the receipts for that. <laughs> yeah, because my understanding and the way I look at how everything has cur- occurred with cleanups, um, environmental cleanups, is the federal government has come in or the state government has come in whether it be EPA or DEP through brownfields grants and I've asked prior the prior administrations in the last 72 hours do you recall a budget item where it was that kind of money yeah. that was paid by the tax of New Bedford for that and there may be a small portion of it but the vast majority of it did not come from the taxpayers of New Bedford it came from the taxpayers of the United States or the taxpayers of Massachusetts so the idea that there's some money that the city put towards that i just don't find that believable
1: well so that was my next question i said isn't you know is shouldn't there be some onus on the state or the federal government to to um to invest in these cleanups so that municipalities aren't on the hook but what you're saying is that money is is you don't think that that money actually exists. You don't think that that they wouldn't, if this lawsuit were to go forward, they wouldn't have a legitimate right to nine point nine million dollars in uh, in losses.
2: I agree with that, but yeah. I also don't think that they're entitled to it. Okay, You're, you, they may be entitled to a few extra thousand dollars because the value is worth a little bit more. Sure, but the idea that you own a environmentally disruptive piece of property
1: yeah
2: and it's your responsibility as the property you only to clean it up yeah. right Correct. It, <laughs> maybe yep. Right. Lost. So <laughs> right. Yeah. it's not I'm not looking for look, it. Yeah. for the last 13 years I've done everything New Bedford has been great to my family yeah mm-hmm. I love New Bedford it's been an important part of who I am and the idea that I would turn my back on them is ridiculous but the idea that I'm going to fight over a couple hundred thousand dollars when they're putting in a billion-dollar thing, a uh, rail, an in investment, and they're giving us more and more and more, I'm not going to do that because it's a relationship that you build. And I, the easiest way for a common person to think about this is simple. You live next door to your neighbor. Your neighbor comes over, and he helps you build your deck. He helps you put in a sliding glass door. He cuts down a tree for you. He offers a burger or a steak for you, and you sit outside in his yard. He offers to help your garbage disposal and fix it. He does all these things for you. And then one day, his dog bites you. You have a right to sue him. Right. Right? You have a right to sue the the person, but he's going to ruin a relationship over that. Yeah. And I just – I have a real problem with that. And – I try to give my word on things and live up to my word. Do I always do it? No. And sometimes it bothers me the most when I don't. Mm -hmm. But I work at it and I try to keep my word. And I would never turn my back on that. So
3: we're speaking with Representative Chris Markey about the uh, the, the proposed lawsuit by the mayor of New Bedford against the MBTA. Um, You talked about relationships. You've always said that here about one of the reasons you guys in the delegation are successful is because you've been there for a while many of you have been there for longer than others but building relationships how damaging is this lawsuit potentially
2: I don't know we'll figure it out okay. we go well, along. when I asked the next when I asked for the next thing up in Boston and they mock me and they crit- are critical of us and they say well what about your mayor is he going to do anything to us well because that's that's the
1: that's the because he, he said um, earlier today, we we caught uh, we caught up with him in the in the Scrum after the uh, State of the City address. Um, he first time he's spoken on the issue, but he's he's he has said, um, you know, they're not ex- they're hoping not to move this lawsuit forward. They're hoping to come to an agreement with the MBTA about um, recouping some of the money that they feel like they're owed. But um, so, what's your reaction to that? They, he doesn't expect this lawsuit to go forward.
2: Then why even threaten it? Yeah. Right? Our job is keeping our word. Mm-hmm. If you're going to throw out phony threats, I what think, good are you?
1: I think the – yeah, I think the, the more accurate term was like he's not – you know, he's hoping not to. So there's an – I, I, I think there would be an expectation. He's hoping not to move forward with it. Um, he's hoping not to move forward with the lawsuit, but he feels like he might he, – you know, obviously if you're going to draft a complaint, that's going to cost some money, right? It has to – it is an affirmative action to move forward with something. So, um, do you, th- just from your experiences, do you think there is going to actually be a, um, any type of, of settlement? And, and what do you think that will do, um, for you guys up at Beacon Hill?
2: Um, from my experience, I wouldn't know because I've never experienced anything like this. Um, hmm. and I think well, that
3: says it all. And, yeah. And
2: I, and I, and I've been a lawyer for a long time and unless, You want to do it and go through with it. You don't do that. Yeah. And so there's one way – either one, they believe in it yeah, or two, that they don't believe in it and they're trying to use it to try to negotiate a better price. And people think that's just acceptable. Right. It may be acceptable when you don't have relationships that you should be taking advantage of to try to do certain things. Right. And that's what he has absolutely failed on. Like I can't say it enough. But if we and on it, and if he really thought that, why didn't he call us? Why didn't he call Tony Cabral? Why didn't he call Chris Hendricks? Why didn't he call Bill Strauss? Why didn't he call me? Why didn't he call Paul Schmidt? Why didn't he call Mark Montigny? Why didn't he call Mike Rodericks? Right. right. I mean, these are people who they have, you know. Um, Strauss is the head of the chairman of transportation. Yeah, Montigny's got more experience than anyone. He knows what to do. He knows how to pull the levers. He knows how to get things done. Yeah, Rodericks cool. is again a big, huge South Coast guy. Yeah, and he's chairman of Ways and Means right, right. now, which Raised is the the budget. The yeah, second most powerful position in the Senate. Right. So, the idea that he wouldn't take advantage of that opportunity—that speaks volumes
1: let's um take a break yeah. you made a uh, uh you made a point about your experience as a lawyer um mitchell talked about um because i'm a lawyer too and he, he sort of made a comment about um you know just sort of uh legal practice and how these things work and I, i'm interested in your um i'm interested in your uh what you uh what you have to say about it so let's take a break Rebecca, are back. So, Chris, I mean, you're you're a practicing attorney. Um, uh, uh, Bill Strauss is an attorney. Um, I uh, so am I. We asked Mayor Mitchell. Uh, Chris Hendricks. Chris Hendricks, Chris is, Hendricks an is, is, is an attorney as well. Uh, Mayor Mitchell's also an attorney. So I asked him a, a, a question. I basically said, you know, the way I framed it, and you'll you'll hear it, is this would be sort of the some of the claims he's making are, are potentially precedent setting and saying like the taking is illegitimate, right? And so uh, I want, which he's walked away from a little bit, right? Well, here's what he said. Okay.
4: I'm fair to say that it's going for a lot more than that. I think we can work it out ultimately. I hope we don't have to. We've refrained from filing a lawsuit with four other property owners. I've done that already. Connected to this project, um, and I hope that's
1: that uh, so we don't have to play that part. So ma'am, ma'am, your, your lawsuit seems to suggest that the taking of it is illegitimate. Which, if the court rules in your favor, could jeopardize the whole project. Are you prepared to jeopardize the whole project? It's not going to jeopardize the project. So, as
4: you know, as a practicing lawyer, uh, one time practicing lawyer. Uh, you put into a complaint all the argument, substantive and procedural that you might uh, prevail on. Uh, ultimately, the reality is that the the, the counts in the draft—I emphasize, this is a draft; it's not filed—that uh, that, um, that caused so much hyperventilation is uh, have to do with an action taken before the city adopted. Uh, the provision that allows it to become an MBTA community. Having become an MBTA community, the, uh, even under that argument and the complaint, um, it, the MBTA could walk into... The Bristol County, uh, registry of deeds this afternoon it's open till four o'clock and file a notice of taking. And that would make it all move. They could do that. Their lawyers know that. So, but this isn't going to stop the rail project. Anybody who to that speech that played a big part in it and, uh, in advancing that project, continue. lots of others and we look forward to that service when it
2: arrives.
1: So, um, just your thoughts on that. He, you know, he said, you know, basically in a, in a civil complaint and, and you have more civil experience than I do, but a civil complaint, you, you make all the, you know, you, you try to list all the claims that you may potentially, all the things you may potentially have a claim to. Uh, he also uh, described the reaction. I have to assume, uh, reactions by you and rep Strauss in the, in the globe article as, um, hyperventilation. Um, so just to, you know, if you want to respond to any of those comments,
2: um, Sure, I didn't. I didn't know of the hyperventilation line.
1: Um, I assume I'm, I'm reading into it because you, 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 and Rep Strauss specifically were quoted uh in that article, and you, Strauss, Schmid, and Hendricks filed a, you know, basically had a, a, a joint statement that was released the following day after the story. So I'd assume that maybe I'm reading too much into it.
2: No, I. I well, first, let's talk about it. Is one is. Um, You want to file a civil complaint, you write a demand letter. A letter asking for something. A letter, not a complaint, but you write a letter to the person who you think is responsible. Right. Now, that makes sense in the private world. Yeah. When you're two public entities and you're looking for more money, more Investment in your community from the same people, why do you spend the money on a private lawyer from out of town to write and draft what he calls a draft complaint in which you put everything in? Uh-huh. I look at it as, again, it comes back to keeping your word, right? You put in what you think you can prove. That's an ethical responsibility of, of any lawyer. Yeah,
5: mm-hmm.
2: and any lawyer who's actually older, true. gone through an ethics class in law school and then passed yeah. the PMBR and then is a lawyer understands that. Yeah. So they it's called would, uh, rule, rule Eleven, I think it's called. For well, that's for sanctions system. in the federal court. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Still. But the idea being that the height, hy- and then my response to it as hyperventilation, uh, I think is again typical of the mayor in his condescending way in which he speaks to people in which he says oh this is in minimizing what we believe is significant positions and we can look at the state pier and talk about that and how he has used the regeneration committee as a tool to try to give credibility to what he's trying to do we can look at the whaling city golf course and look at that there's no one who put in an R- a response to their RFP that the way they wrote it. So the idea that now this is the third strike where he has failed. It is – maybe it causes the high blood pressure because I'm fed up with it. And I've worked hard to try to keep my word. I know people don't like me because – The positions I take, I get that. That's part of the gig.
4: Mm. (laughs) We we know that too.
2: (laughs) 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 But as a lawyer, I think you can ask anyone if I've kept my word from when I was a prosecutor all the way through. I don't go behind people's back. I tell them up front what I'm going to do. I tell them I'm going to do this. You may want to talk to someone, particularly a young assistant DA now. I give them the opportunity to do that. This is about politics and having a relationship with the people you're supposed to be working with. Yeah, right. He's gone by behind our backs on all of it. So what do you think we're going to react with? And again, it's a it's a cute way of saying, oh, we've overreacted. If you have a relationship with a friend. Right. And they stick it to you three times. You don't think you have a right to be upset. So the idea of him using those words, those cold words of, oh, we're overreacting, that's not hyperventilation. It's real. It's tangible. And he should think about it.
1: You sound frustrated with the performance of Mayor Mitchell.
2: I'm, I'm, I am in a really weird spot on that. I think there are things he's done very well. And there are things I think he's done very poorly. And it might be personality. And the fact that what I value isn't what he values in our personalities. The fact that I don't think of things as transactional. When I look in someone's eye and they're giving me something today, I'm not going to beg for something tomorrow. It's not my personality. I'm, I'm grateful for what they've given me today. And those are the things that, Maybe because I, I grew up in New Bedford, I, I get that. Um but I'm not someone who um takes lightly to the fact that you know it's it's just frustr it is frustrating. Let's um we
1: get a call line. let's let's take it. Good evening.
5: Hey guys, how are you? Hey, what's up?
1: How you doing, Barry? Sixty third
5: sixty third birthday today. Happy and birthday, Barry. Thank you, guys, for the time.
2: And you're not throwing your words, Barry. <laughs> <laughs>
5: yes. uh, I am or I'm not. You it's are not. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, here's what I don't think, in uh, uh, Chris uh, and John Mocky Jr. So, do you guys know who was mayor of the city? I believe it was, what, 72 to 86?
2: No, nope, 72 to eighty-eighty. Yeah, actually, he was 71 and got elected. 82, he left December 7th, 82.
1: Is, we're talking about Chris's father. Right. Yeah, just for so people don't
5: John, know. Yeah, exactly. Attorney John Maki. And, you know, Chris or, and or John Jr. hasn't brought that up, that. So, you know, we have our Sunday dinner, and my kids would sit here at my Sunday dinner. I would pay to have sat at uh, Attorney and Mayor John Maki's uh uh, their, their Sunday dinner. And what got learned out of all that is the loyalty that Chris is talking about, the experience that Chris is talking about, things that even though you're an attorney, you might be a new attorney, you don't get that, that lineage, that heritage that goes on. And I think I called up a few months back, and I was with Mayor, Mayor Koch in, uh, in uh Quincy. And, Chris, you know who Mayor Koch is in Quincy? I do. Yeah. He's on the board, He's on the board of right? where? Yeah. MBTA. Of MBTA. And it goes to what this young man, Chris Monkey, is talking about. The the loyalty and why why do you think Mayor Koch, Koch is on the board? Because he wants to influence for his people what he needs to get done. The the city of Quincy. And if you bite the hand that you uh that's feeding you, you're not gonna get to that. So You know, it's been my calls with you guys that we need more people appointed to the cabinets of uh, whether it's governor, lieutenant governor. And it goes to what this young rep, uh, uh, Mr. Markey, is saying. We need to be able to work cohesively and move new Bedford forward and get people on these boards just like Mayor Coates is on the board. It doesn't make any sense uh, not to work cohesively. Am I correct, Chris?
2: Well, first off, Barry, I'm I'm grateful you call me young. I've only been a lawyer for 29 years. Uh, <laughs> time flies as, as as Barry's celebrating his birthday. But I appreciate the kind words about my father, and uh, I'm blessed every time I get to see him and speak with him uh, at this point in his life. And I'm 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 grateful for every opportunity he and his my mom have given me, and my siblings, and particularly my siblings who've given me the support.
5: Um, but you didn't you didn't learn that in any book or school no, you no, learned I, that at, at the sunday table
2: i learned that by just watching my parents and watching their friends and and seeing how they treated each other um, my father's best friends at the courthouse when he was a judge were the people who were doing maintenance i'd have lunch with them down in the maintenance room all the time his favorite people that he dealt with when he was mayor were one of the custodians or the, one of the maintenance guys at the housing authority another one worked on a beer truck um those are his two best friends so well i i, I got I it play
5: cribb- i played cribbage with london she and markey and Gus statey so uh, you know he's got the other side of, of of the experience too where he has the greatest experience with the greatest judges and uh you, you you can't learn that coming out of law school five years eight years ten years or harvard whatever and i Chris. Uh, I, I, I commend you for being loyal, and we need to understand that it's not just uh, a one-trick pony of what you're going to do with these big projects, and uh, I commend you, young man.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Barry. Hey, Thanks, Happy Barry. birthday, Barry. Thanks. Happy birthday. Thanks for the call. So 508-996-0500, if you want to talk to Rep Markey, Chris, uh, Rep Markey, Chris McCarthy, and me, and uh, let's let's actually take a break. We'll be right back. This is South Coast
0: Tonight. 1420 WBSM can now be heard on 99.5 FM.
2: Veterans and their families are popular targets for financial fraud. Scammers may try to defraud you through misleading commercials, emails, texts, cold calls, or online ads. They may even pose as someone from VA or an organization providing discounts on fees for services. But VA will never charge you for processing a claim. Do not provide your personal information to anyone other than a VA-accredited representative. To find a representative near you, visit
3: va.gov forward slash find
0: representative
3: Pollution
1: from trucks is a public health crisis. Diesel-burning trucks belch dangerous levels of pollution, and communities living near ports and along freight corridors breathe especially high levels of this dirty air. But this crisis has a solution. My name is Sasan Sadat, and I work for Earth Justice. I'm working to clean up our air quality, particularly for communities that bear the burden of diesel pollution. For the sake of our lungs, our health, and our climate, the future of trucking in this country has got to be zero emissions. Until then, I will never rest.
2: Earth Justice is a national legal nonprofit defending the environment and people's health. Earth Justice is fighting to save lives, protect our climate, and strengthen our economy through the shift to zero emissions. If clean air matters to you, visit us at earthjustice.org, earth Justice, because the earth needs a good lawyer.
0: They know the local issues from the inside out and they call it like they see it. Chris McCarthy and Marcus Perro are back with More South Coast tonight on WBSM.
1: Oh, before we before we get into the before we dive back in. Sure. I got to ask Marky, this is an important question. What's your favorite TV show? We've asked all of our guests. Uh, by far, the greatest TV show ever. Not even close is The Wire. Love The Wire. Yeah.
3: Yes. yes, yes, yeah. How close is it to reality as a prosecutor?
2: It it takes the, it takes the best of it and it takes the worst of it. Okay. Okay, that's the best way to put it. And like, it it sometimes it exaggerates a little bit, but yeah, you have to the, the the concepts behind it are just so so spot on but the the difficulties of decision making and the ramifications of the decision making and i think i probably grew a lot from that um, yeah from the ability to uh keep your word okay it's a huge thing um to be fair and listen to be compassionate but on the other and the other hand is be firm. Sure. Be you know you have to be the tough guy once in a while. Um, when you come across that person that you got to prosecute all the way to the end, you got to be tough and you got to hold firm. And the other parts are you got to take chances on people.
3: I think while Chris is here, we'll we'll, we'll quickly make this announcement. One of the things we've asked uh, Chris to do going forward, um, because in addition to being a defense attorney and a a private attorney and and a representative, he was a prosecutor for a long time at at the the attorney's office here. He did murder prosecutions, did a lot of big, serious crimes. And... As some of these trials come up here in massachusetts we're going to ask chris because a lot of them are in bristol county to give us some commentary some thoughts on them yeah um one of the gonna big ones is going to be um this case in duxbury of the gentleman who's accused of murdering his wife um so i think going forward however that breaks down we're going to have the uh, you and the audience are going to have chris markey here on a regular basis either by phone or in person as the trial gets going, to talk about that about those cases, Chris, you've done some murder cases. Um, talk a little bit about the the impact on, on a prosecutor when you have those
2: cases. Well, I, I'll tell you one thing is um, that that kind of shaped me, and probably he doesn't even know it, but um, it was the Dartmouth High murder of Jason Robinson, right. and um, I was a young assistant DA. I had just become an assistant DA. And Tom Quinn and I were very close when I was a victim witness person. Mm -hmm. And that was his case. And he needed some help with it. Okay. And – This was under Paul Walsh. Yep. Right. And uh, it was 1995, right in February of 1995 up in Taunton. And the case was tried and Tom did a fantastic job. You know, and I shuffled papers for him. I got stuff. I made sure people were ready and all that stuff. I mean it was – i was literally two months a lawyer okay um well four months a lawyer i guess and then um uh, i uh i can remember when the verdict came back uh tom looked at me and goes he's 16 years old i'm a i'm glad it was a second because at least he has a shot at getting out it mm-hmm. doesn't mean he should get out right. but at least he has a shot because it's a 16 year old and granted the kid he killed was a 15-year-old boy and all of that and, and it was horrible and no one wins in those situations right but it was that sense and then i can remember um my first murder trial it's a guy who executed an, another guy um in fall river and uh i remember um not having it was a first degree but it, i wasn't that satisfied with it because the victim's family had four or five people there. The defendant had zero people there. And I said, geez, what a waste of a life. Right? Yeah. What a waste of a life mm-hmm. that no one even could come to support him. No one was there for one day of the trial. It was maybe a six-day trial or seven-day trial. And the fact that there was a human being who went through a trial and was going to spend the rest of his life in jail, and not one person was there to say bye to him. Yeah. It was it was uh, it was heart-wrenching in that respect. I mean, I was glad I got it because mm-hmm. I thought he deserved it because it was an execution style. And, of course. And, but um, I always remember those moments uh, of those types of cases where you learn a lot about just humanity.
3: You, at the district attorney's office, uh, the folks working over there, they see the worst of everything. I mean, you go to work.
2: Yeah, but we all uh, – yeah. I say this all the time. Okay. I, I mean, my my idea on uh, trial practice and picking up jurors and all that stuff are uh, I love nurses because they're a lot like they're like a lot like assistant DAs where they see the best in life and the worst in life. Yeah, um, yeah, we did see the worst in life, but we saw also some great moments. We saw police officers do incredibly courageous things. We saw witnesses come in. Against gangbangers and testify, take their lives into their hands to bite, be able to do that. Um, we felt the emotions of sitting there um, and listening to a daughter testify as to when her mother got shot right in front of her. Like those are the experiences I got. Where and then I got to argue on their behalf. Uh, it, it's it was an incredible opportunity, and um, it's something I will, I'm blessed for. I cherish all those memories. Um, but I don't always think it's the worst in life. We saw some humorous things, um, yeah, okay, and, uh, sure. entertaining things. And, yeah. uh, I have some pretty good stories to tell.
3: Well, we're going to hope to mind that a little bit as, as we go forward here, because, um, I think you do a nice job of pointing out the human side, even of the defendant, um, because they are human.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, the, the Cohasset case, um, I mean i only i've read about it in the in the paper right um I mean modern technology will crush that guy right yeah uh, his google searches are outrageous and um, it's crazy
1: but we'll see we're speaking with uh, state rep chris Markey, uh who is also a practice attorney was a um was a, uh, a prosecutor for some time and uh also um uh, now works in uh, private practice, but Chris, Chris uh, going back to the MBTA uh, lawsuit or potential lawsuit, what's going forward? What as a state delegation, you you did issue a statement on this, but basically, what do you what do you hope Mayor Mitch will do going forward? Now, what's your hope?
2: I hope he realizes his mistake. I hope he realizes that we have provided a, the city with a great opportunity. And it's long before I got there, you know, Representative Quinn was doing it and advocating for it. I know you. Yeah. when the peop- when the train is open in November or October of this year, you're going to hear Mark speak of how he was there in 1992 when he said it was going to happen and it was Governor Weld and how this. So there's a lot of people along Go- the way. Governor
1: Weld said if I we don't get South Coast Rail, then vote me out, basically, right. or I don't deserve to get reelected.
2: But, uh. the, you know, that. There's a whole host of people He did get who- reelected. <laughs> <laughs> but there are a whole host of people who deserve to have credit for getting it to this point. Absolutely. Um and ironically, uh, one of the you know the, the two people uh who deserve the credit, I think in my mind and I've said it before is Bill Strauss and Charlie Baker. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. I do think Ch- Governor Patrick did a lot to get it going. Mhm. And that was really important, but the practical side of actually getting it done is having Bill being the chairman of transportation, having a great relationship with the governor, yeah, and the governor being involved in it and making those really technical decisions at the end of how we can do this and how we can get it done immediately.
1: Stress did actually come on uh, this program uh, when Jack Splane was filling in first and say South Coast, South Coast Rail happened because of Charlie
3: Baker, basically. He did say that. So It's been a long slog. Um, as you say, Chris, um, relationships, right? All built on relationships, because that money could have gone anywhere else in the budget.
2: Yeah, it could right? have gone anywhere in the state. Right, and um, I, I just it goes back to you know you you can't be transactional in this job. You can't be. You're not going to have uh, a reputation that you want to have. When you're old and gray, and you're sitting in a rocking chair, and you want to look back and say, you know, I'm glad I helped out that guy, or I helped out that woman, or I did this and I got this accomplished, and I did it, and I still have all my friends. All
3: right. Um, what, what do you say to to the to the the thought that the MBTA is a troubled agency, and you got to play rough with them? Your thoughts.
2: Um. I I think that they have been more troubled. I mean the idea that we finally changed the pensions and all of those things that were just outrageous. Um, but I think, again, you were, we're talking about an agency that's antiquated, that they've spent more money on pensions and other things than they have in investments. And this isn't a this isn't a Maura Healy problem. This isn't a Charlie Baker problem. It's not a Deval Patrick problem. This has been going on since the 70s okay and it's been from from the 70s 80s and most of the 90s -hmm. and even into the 2000 it was not well run it was chaos and you need decades to fix it and the infrastructure that should have been going on in the 90s and the early 2000s is finally going on so the idea of blaming one administration or another administration, I think everyone has always intended to try to fix it and sure. has made efforts to do that in different ways. But every time they get there, um, there's a new crisis that comes up. And uh, I think that's because there was poor management decades ago and poor policy decades ago. But I don't think it's in any other agency that you deal with as far as this type of transaction. Okay. You, you're you honest with them. You're up front with them. You work with the other delegates. I mean what would it be like if someone had an issue with the federal government and they didn't call Bill Keating and then they didn't call Senator Markey or they didn't call Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts? That's essentially what we have here. Right. You pass all of those people who represent you and you go beyond and you try to you make and make it into a potentially adversarial proceeding and that's where again i have that that problem with trying to create relationships that get things done that got south coast rail done because of that relationship and getting it destroyed
1: let's take a break we'll be right back and we're back closing out the hour with rep chris markey um So we've got like a few minutes left, Chris. Is there anything – I had Hendricks on to talk about the budget. I don't know if you want to talk, you know, anything briefly about the budget.
2: I tried to get my deer commission done. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How's that going? It Uh, it didn't go through in the budget as an amendment, but there's a bill out there to try to get a commission for that. Great. Which, you know, it sounds silly and – but it means a lot to the farmers. It well, means a lot to car owners who are paying insurance and hitting deer. And
3: uh, I, If you ever hit a deer,
1: you know, I've, I've hit two in my life. For for background, uh, you know, obviously, for people who may not remember this, you, you're the state rep from Dartmouth, which has vast, uh, you know, rural areas. And uh, there is a problem with uh, an overpopulation of deer. And it's like the very first thing you brought up when you came on the show for the first time was the overpopulation of deer and how you're going to uh, try to do something about it and I, I i think it spoke to like the granularity in which you have to know your the granular level which you have to know to your, your district and all the issues there uh, it's really interesting so
2: it is i mean it, it, for me to become a rep when i was 43 years old i thought it was wonderful because i it's was like a midlife crisis where you could <laughs> learn <laughs> really like you could learn so much about different things like i right. I, I, um, I learned a lot about farming yeah. Um I really got in depth with the criminal justice system stuff. Yeah. Um the other stuff was uh you know, housing was a really big thing and trying to understand the real real problems with housing and there's something that I agree with uh Mayor Mitchell on is the actual idea and I've been saying it for a while, is the suburbs need to take on some responsibility for it to open up um some housing in the urban areas uh if we have more supply the, the it will allow more people to own a home um and uh i think it can work i mean it's just a matter of changing some zoning and understanding the municipalities understanding this is about home ownership it's not about putting in more affordable housing it's mm-hmm. about making sure that we can make it affordable for the people of new bedford who are the engine and New Bedford still the engine of our community. Absolutely. And uh, but the people who uh, own the businesses in New Bedford, they're typically from Freetown or Dartmouth or Mattapoisett or Fairhaven. Right. And um, we need to make sure that they understand the responsibility they have to making sure that their employees have a safe place to live.
1: Chris, uh, thanks so much for joining us. We will I look talk- forward to
3: having you again. Absolutely.
5: Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Good night.